record fell from an altitude of something over 30,000 feet. Horrible to narrate, his head was entirely obliterated, though his body and limbs preserved their configuration. At every gathering of airmen, Joyce Armstrong, according to his friend Dangerfield, would ask with an enigmatic smile, And where, pray, is Myrtle's head? On another occasion after dinner, at the mess of the flying school on Salisbury Plain, he started to debate as to what will be the most permanent danger which airmen will have to encounter. Having listened to successive opinions as to air pockets, faulty construction and overbanking, he ended by shrugging his shoulders and refusing to put forward his own views, though he gave the impression that they differed from any advanced by his companions. It is worth remarking that after his own complete disappearance it was found that his private affairs were arranged with a precision which may show that he had a strong premonition of disaster. With these essential explanations I will now give the narrative exactly as it stands, beginning at page three of the blood-soaked notebook. Nevertheless, when I dined at Reims with Caselli and Gustav Raymond, I found that neither of them was aware of any particular danger in the higher layers of the atmosphere. It is interesting to note that neither of them had ever been much beyond the 20,000 foot level. Of course, men have been higher than this, both in balloons and in the ascent of mountains. It must be well above that point that the aeroplane enters the danger zone always presuming that my premonitions are correct. Aeroplaning has been with us now for more than twenty years, and one might well ask, why should this peril be only revealing itself in our day? The answer is obvious. In the old days of weak engines, when a hundred horsepower gnome or green was considered ample for every need, the flights were very restricted, now that 300 horsepower is the rule rather than the exception, visits to the upper layers have become easier and more common. Some of us can remember how, in our youth, Garras made a worldwide reputation by attaining 19,000 feet, and it was considered a remarkable achievement to fly over the Alps. Our standard now has been immeasurably raised, and there are 20 high flights for one in former years. Many of them have been undertaken with impunity. The 30,000-foot level has been reached time after time with no discomfort beyond cold and asthma. What does this prove? A visitor might descend upon this planet a thousand times and never see a tiger, yet tigers exist, and if he chanced to come down in a jungle, he might be devoured. There are jungles of the upper air, and there are worse things than tigers which inhabit them. I believe, in time, they will map these jungles accurately out, even at the present moment. I could name two of them. One of them lies over the Pau-Berritz district in France. Another is just over my head as I write here in my house in Wiltshire. I rather think there is a third in the Homburg-Wiesbaden district. It was the disappearance of the airmen that first set me thinking. Of course... Everyone said that they had fallen into the sea, but that did not satisfy me at all. First, there was Verrier in France. 
His machine was found near Bayonne, but they never got his body. There was the case of Baxter also, who vanished, though his engine and some of the iron fixings were found in a wood in Leicestershire. In that case, Dr. Middleton of Amesbury, who was watching the flight with a telescope, declares that just before the clouds obscured the view, he saw the machine, which was at an enormous height, suddenly rise perpendicularly upwards in a succession of jerks in a manner that he would have thought to be impossible. That was the last scene of Baxter. There was a correspondence in the papers, but it never led to anything. There were several other similar cases, and then there was the death of Hay Connor. He never got off his machine and died in his pilot's seat. Died of what? Heart disease, said the doctors. Rubbish. Hay Connor's heart was as sound as mine is. What did Venables say? Venables was the only man who was at his side.